Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. My name is Tim, and I'm the pastor here. If you are new, we do love it that you are here to worship with us. We just did that through song. Uh, now we're going to do that through God's Word, and we're going to close out in song a little bit later in the service. Uh, if you are new, we are in a series, week eight of a series called What is Love? And uh, we've been taking an honest look uh, at marriage and relationships, and we've kind of been looking at the full gamut. So we started off looking at what is love, and biblically, how does God love us, and how does that affect our relationships horizontally with one another? Uh, then we talked about marriage and, and conflict and communication and sex and money and anybody convicted in this whole series. Uh, you've had lots of opportunities to be convicted. It's been a, a practical series about what does God say about our relationships. Last week, we talked about singleness. Uh, today, we're talking about dating. And uh, the reason we talked about singleness first, and if you were here, Don did a fantastic job talking about redeeming uh, singleness. And it's not just looking for a mate and, and hoping you finally graduate and make varsity one day and get married. You can impact the kingdom of God as a single person, right? Did you guys get that last week? I know I loved watching that on Facebook Live afterwards. And, and so today we are going to talk about, though, uh, hey, here's how you do pursue a mate. Here's what that looks like in dating. And I know for me, uh, I've been married 13 years, so it's been a while, but uh, my last year of college wasn't married. I lived with my three best friends, and we all ate together, and we all watched sports together, and we all hung out together all the time. We even traveled together, and I literally thought in that, that moment, in that phase of life, like, I could do this for the rest of my life. Just me and these guys, me and the boys, right? But I remember one night, uh, I lived in East Texas, the Piney Woods of East Texas. You see all the stars at night. One night, we're sitting outside on the porch, me and my bros. And we're looking at the stars. And it was one of those nights, you've seen this in Phoenix, where you can just see all the stars. And the moon seems like it's really close. And it was one of those nights where I'm looking at this, and then I'm looking at them. And I'm looking at this, and then I'm looking at my bros, and I'm like, something is off here. Like, I want to enjoy this with someone else, <laughs> like someone else other than Nathan, Sam, and Butch. Those were my three best friends in college, true story, right? And I began to think about, and that's not the first time I thought about dating or marriage, but that was one of those pivotal moments where like, hey, I, I want a partner and like I want a companion in life that I can love and cherish and, and do so and watch uh, moments like these and experience moment like th moments like these for the rest of my life together with that person. What is that going to look like? And so as I ventured off into the dating world, and you know this, married, or if you're dating right now, dating is complicated, right? Can I get an amen? amen. Single people, come on. It's complicated. And so I went out into this world thinking, I want somebody, I want to watch the stars with them, like I want somebody to sit next to, grow old with. This is complicated. And, and there were some, I would say there's not a manual and there wasn't one, but there were some people who tried to make one. Like in the churches I went to and the, fr and the friends of the girls I tried to date, right? They tried to make some, but it didn't seem like there was a manual, like how do we, how do, we do this? So I want to help you if you are dating, thinking about dating, navigate this in a godly way, in a helpful way, in a healthy way, right? But here's the deal. Married people, and I know we got a lot of married people in here, you can't tune out for this. Here's a couple reasons why. One, the church is a body made up of many members who are different, so you're married, but there's some people in this room who aren't, but they're part of your body. You're connected to them. 
So this is applicable to you because you're part of the body of Christ, because you're part of a church family. So you need to care about, hey, what are other people trying to navigate? How is this hard for them in dating? How can I come alongside them? And then also, what I want this to do is for you to think about as a married couple, five years, 15 years, 50 years, for you to remember what it was like to date your spouse. And that there could be moments in this sermon where you kind of nudge your spouse and like, sweetie, remember that? Remember when we did that? And, and it would rekindle some affection and hopefully some foundational truth that made you a married couple, right? And so we're all going to lean in on this love and dating. And here's a big idea to give you right off the bat. The big idea is this. You can write this down. It's who is more important than how, but how helps with who. It's like a Dr. Seuss book. Who is more important than how, but how helps with who? We're going to just break that down into two statements. The first point is who is more important than how, and we're going to see that. 2 Corinthians 6, we just read it. It starts off, verse 14, look at the verse. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian Church, And if you've ever read 1st or 2nd Corinthians, uh, you know that these people are, are struggling with some things. That a lot of these people, it's a church, a lot of these people are Christians. And as Paul writes these letters to them, they had given God their, their spirituality. Like they said, hey, Jesus, yeah, we believe he died and rose again, we want to follow him. But they hadn't given God their sexuality. So you see some really crazy things in, in both letters to the Corinthians. But what you see, not just sexually, is you see relationally they hadn't given their relational lives completely to God. And so he's going to challenge them in this text and say, do not be unequally yoked relationally with unbelievers. And he's not going to just stop there. He's going to give us some, some contrast, some examples of what that would be like. Believer, unbeliever being relationally connected. He gives us some examples. He said it's like righteousness and lawlessness. Don't be joined together. Righteousness and lawlessness, they don't go together. Believer and unbeliever, same thing. Light and darkness, they don't go together. Christ with Bilal, that was an idol, they don't go together. The temple of God, that's you because Christ lives in you. You are God's temple, and so you don't join together with idols. These are contrasting things, just like believer and unbeliever, and that's what he lays out for us. And that word yoked is interesting. It's actually referencing two animals being really closely connected with a wooden beam. Now, maybe some of you grew up on a farm. Uh, more likely, you're in Phoenix, so you probably watched a movie about somebody growing up on a farm. And you can all, like, try to do this with you. You can picture, right, two animals, like maybe oxen, being connected, like joined together with a wooden beam. Can you picture this? And so when Paul says, hey, believer, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, picture that wooden beam connecting you together. This really tight, this really close relationship. Paul's giving you that imagery to show you, hey, this is significant. That relationally, we just don't hang out with people in marriage. We don't just get close in proximity in marriage. What happens? A joining together, like being yoked together to become one. It's even closer than that, right? And Paul says, gives us this imagery to say, hey, don't be like that, like light and darkness, like all these things, don't be like that believer with unbeliever. And he challenges them 
in their relational lives. Now, just a side note, some of you might be thinking, Tim, but aren't we supposed to love everyone? Like this believer, unbeliever, they don't go together, but we're supposed to love people, right? And we are supposed to love people. In fact, double down on that, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, hey, you're supposed to love your enemies, right? So you are supposed to love all people, but Jesus also says you need to be in this world, but not of it, right? You don't need to be, Romans 12, 2, you don't need to be conformed to the pattern of this world. So what happens? If you are yoked together with somebody, if you're tightly connected, that, that close together, you inevitably will conform to them, right? And so, yeah, we, we love people, but Paul's talking about specifically being yoked, tied together, connected together with someone who is not a believer in Jesus. So what does this have to do with dating? Well, dating is the process that leads to marriage, right? Just so we're all clear today, if you are dating, you need to know this. Right? If you're not dating, you're married, and you're trying to walk alongside dating couples or single people, you need to know this. Dating is not a status. It's a process. It's a journey that leads to a destination. What's that destination? Marriage. Right? The being yoked together. The two becoming one. Dating is a road that travels there. Right? And some of you know that like, that's the way it's intended, and when it doesn't happen, it's painful and pointless. That's the way it feels, right? When you break up for the fifth time, you're just like, man, where is this going? Maybe you've even said that. Hey, where is this going? Because it's supposed to go somewhere, right? And so dating is a process that leads to being yoked together. Picture, tied together, connected together. Dating is heading in that direction, and some of you, your first problem when you think about dating and your, your real problems in your dating life is you don't see it that way, right? And so as I talk about like, hey, who is so important? Who you're going to be yoked together with for the rest of your life is so important. You're like, that, that's marriage. I'm not looking to be yoked together with anybody right now. I mean, we're just talking. I mean, we're just hanging out. Like, we're just going out, whatever the terms you use these days, right? We're just doing, like, yoked together. That, that's, like, serious. That's, like, a long time from now. And I would say that's your problem is you don't see, like, the who is so important because you don't see, hey, this is the road you're traveling down. You're looking for someone you can be yoked together with, closely tied together with. And if you're not... You're not doing the process that leads to, to what God ordained in marriage. And you're setting yourself up for failure. And some of you know that. So the who is so important. Because this is the person you're going to be yoked with, tied together with for the rest of your life. And dating leads to that, right? And so we need to talk about who. So we want it to be a believer. Paul says that, makes that really clear. So some of you think, okay, well, Tim, what does that look like? I mean, uh, the word Christian in their profile, like is that? Just look for that, and I'm good. Christian fish on their car. Just kind of watch what they drive. Watch them drive away. Like, I think that's Christian fish, not a Longhorn symbol, not, not an Arizona Cardinal symbol. Like, I think that's Christian fish. Like, I think they must be a Christian. It's a, done. Good. This is easy. No. Right? And, and no, like even in dating apps, come on. Christian in the bio. You don't check that off the list after you see that. 
you need to look for some more things. And so I'm going to give you a few things to look for, a few questions to ask. The first question you want to ask, if you're, if you're dating or if you think you want to date, you need to go ahead and get out the pen and write these things down, right? Because that girl is seeing if you're writing these things down, all right? First question, are they in a growing relationship with Jesus? If we want to be equally yoked with this person one day, we need to say, are they in a growing relationship with Jesus? Two things about growing. One, they're actually growing, right? They don't just have Christian in their profile. You see evidence that they are growing. You see evidence that they know Jesus in the first place. And that evidence just isn't an emblem on their car or the music they listen to on the radio. The evidence is laid out clearly in Scripture in Galatians chapter 5. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. That every believer, Paul talks about being equally yoked with a believer, every believer is indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And that Holy Spirit produces fruit, evidence that the Holy Spirit is actually there. Galatians 5 gives it to us. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. That someone who is a believer in Christ, who has the Spirit of God indwelling within them, they're going to show some of these traits. If they're growing in their relationship with Jesus, they're going to show some of these traits. And here's the reality. You can't produce these traits for them. You can't be their Holy Spirit. They have to experience this fruit, like these types of fruit, from the Holy Spirit of God. And so you can't evangelate them. You can't fix them. And some of you, you, you've dated people in the past and it's been painful for you because you've tried. Some of you right now, you are trying, right? And you've listened to too many Rascal Flat songs. And you think like, I'm a sinner, she's King James, baby, you fix me. And that's a cute song, but that's a horrible strategy, right? You can't be fixed, you can't fix the other person. They need the Holy Spirit of God within them. Right? And so you can be friends with them and you can invite them to church, but you don't need to be on a path to being yoked together with them. If they don't have evidence, fruit of the Spirit, a growing relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit's got to fix them. You can't. Right? And so you want to see somebody who's in a growing relationship with Christ. Uh, Some of you, you're not trying to fix people, you're going the other direction. You're looking for perfection already. Right? You want the fruit of the Spirit, like, all day, every day, and not just the fruit of the Spirit, you want good looks. You want, like, Brad Pitt with, like, Tim Tebow's muscles and faith, right? Come on. And here's the reality. You swipe through so many images and so many profiles on dating apps and Facebook and Instagram, you think that guy exists. You just haven't found him yet, right? And so you're looking around. People in church, like, come up and ask you out to dinner and you just assess them right there. Like, I don't think so. Like, no, I mean, can you quote, like, this verse? Like, can you? And you got this list, in your, and you're just always looking for that perfection when you need to be looking for progress. Here's the reality. I want to break this to you in a kind way. You are not perfection. So that person you were looking for, not only do they not exist, it doesn't exist within you. Right? And so you want to see growing, not perfection, but you do want to see Progress. Uh, Kathy Keller, 
who co-wrote a book with her husband, Tim Keller, called The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, by the way, I've used that book a lot in this series. If you want a good book that doesn't just talk about marriage, but talks about the pathway leading up to marriage, read Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller. Uh, it's been super helpful to me. I think it will be for you. Kathy Keller said this. She said, most people are looking for a finished statue when they should be looking for a wonderful block of marble. What she's saying is, hey, do you see a person indwelled by the Spirit of God, exhibiting some of the fruits of the Spirit, coming to church, getting out their notepad, wanting to grow and learn? They don't know every theological word, but when they hear them, they're like, hey, what, what does that mean? How does that affect my life? They, they don't walk alone. They walk in a community of believers. You can go to their friends. It's important. You can go to their friends and see hey, do they have evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their life? And like, don't ask them that, right? But you can just talk to their friends and you can see, hey, your friends, your closest friends, they tell a lot about you. So if you meet a guy or a girl and they're amazing and they're crushing it and everything, but they're all by themselves and nobody can corroborate that, there's something off, right? You want to see, hey, is there, is there promise here? Is there progress here? And, and is, there, is there something that can be molded? And listen, not molded by you, molded by Jesus. But in order to be molded, there has to be the Holy Spirit of God. There has to be evidence of that in and around their lives. And you want to see some progress, but not perfection, right? So those are some of the who that you can look for. You want to see somebody who says, honestly, hey, by God's grace, I'm not where I should be. But, but I'm not where I used to be either. And I can point to examples. And there's other people that can point to those examples in your life. So that's part of the who. Uh, I've seen this. This whole who is so much more important than how. Uh, I've seen this in our church. We have a couple in our church who's been married for several years. And they got married after knowing each other for like four weeks. And, and they would tell you, if they met you today and you were dating or single and, and aspiring to be dating and married, they would tell you, hey, don't do what we did, right? Amen? They would say that, right? But, but here's why it's worked, is the who. is because they got some of these things right. They got somebody who wasn't perfect but was progressing in their faith. They got somebody who said, hey, by God's grace, I'm not who I used to be, but I'm still not where I want to be yet, and I'm, I'm this moldable clay in the image of God, and he's working in my life, and I have people made in the image of God surrounding me, helping me in that process, and I got a Bible next to me that's, that's helping me in that process, and they had two people, by God's grace, who got together, and several years later, they're, they're married, they're honoring God in their marriage, they have joy in their marriage, because they got the who right, and so we want to get the, the who right. Now, they're an anomaly, <laughs> Right, couple gets married four weeks after they met, usually doesn't work out too well. And so the how does help with the who. So I want to give you a few things on that. How does the how help with the who? The Bible, if you look at it, you will never see the word dating. Right? Uh, you will never see an outline process like 1 Corinthians 6, here's an outline process for dating. Some of you looked and you came up empty. Right? And so I want to give you a few things from all of scripture that help us, just give us principles for how we do this. Here's the first thing. 
you want to submit your dating process to God. Submit your dating process to God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Submit to him. Even dating. In all your ways. That's, that's all encompassing. Dating is a part of that. And so some of you who, who are dating, thinking about dating, have you prayed about who that person's going to be? Have you just stopped and prayed? Have you stopped swiping right and, and put your phone down and open up your hands and pray and submit this process to God? Right? Have you just stopped and prayed, God, how... How am I going to find that who? Like, God, will you lead me in that direction? And just stop and respond to God as he talks to you in prayer, as he leads you through his word, and think, maybe it's going to happen better in the church than in a club. Because I'm going to submit this process of dating to God, and so I'm looking for this who, this believer, and where do believers typically, typically gather? In the church. Are you submitting this process to God? Some of you think, well, Tim, it's hard in the church. Christians are weird. Like, it gets, gets awkward and, and, and all those things. Like, and it's just easier online or whatever. And Listen, I get all that. Submit the process to God. If, if the process was easy, if you could just check a few boxes off the list, you wouldn't need God, right? And so you, you need to rely upon him. Trust in him with all your heart. Submit the process to him. As you're looking for the who, that's part of the how. Second thing, be intentional and direct, not flippant and vague. Proverbs 24, 26, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Right? It's good to be direct. It's, it's loving to be direct. Ephesians 4.15 addresses how believers relate to each other. What makes the community of God so special? It's speaking the truth in love. And so you speak the truth, but you do it in love. Speaking the truth is loving, right? And so as you're thinking about this process of dating, you're submitting it to God. God wants you to be honest, but he wants you to be honest in a gentle way, right? Not just casually walk up to a girl or a guy and be like, hey, I think you look hot. Let's go out. Or the flip side of that, like, hey, would you go to dinner with me? And you're like, no, you're ugly. Well, you got, maybe that's true. I, <laughs> maybe that's true, but that's not in love. That's not like a kiss on the lips. That's not what Proverbs is talking about, right? And so you need to be intentional and direct, not flippant and vague. And guys, a lot of this falls on you, right? A lot of this falls on you. And I, I know it's scary to be intentional and direct with a girl, to ask her out on a date, to say, will you go out to dinner with me? I know that's scary, but you do all sorts of scary things in your life. You shoot guns. Like, you jump off cliffs. Like, yesterday, I hiked Humphreys Peak. It's the tallest point in Arizona. It was scary. Like, there's some points where I'm like, can I fall off? Like, I have some family to go home to. And we do all sorts of scary things, but we're like, ask a girl out on a date. Oh. And you just run the other way. Listen, I know it's risky, but God set it up. An honest answer, an honest remark is like a kiss on the lips. Speaking the truth and love is what sets you apart. Is it scary? But that's what sets you apart as a believer in Christ. I've talked to couples who've actually done this, either the asking out or the responding with truth and love. 
And you would think like, man, they didn't make it after that. Like they didn't, they didn't survive. But no, they were still alive after they did that. Can you believe it? Right? And some of them have even said things to me like, yeah, I asked her out on a date. And I said, hey, will you go out to dinner with me? And she said, I don't really see us that way. But I appreciate you asking. And I'd love to still hang out and see you at church and all those things. And the guy, like he still had a pulse. <laughs> he was still okay. He could still go on and ask another girl out. He even said, like, hey, that was helpful for me because I knew where we stood. See, a lot of us, the dating world, nobody knows where they stand. Because it's just like, hey, let's, let's hang out. Hey, I'm going to DM you later. And it was just like, well, does that mean I need to get dressed up? Or is that a date? Or... And listen, I made some mistakes in this in my dating life. I'm married now by God's grace 13 years later. But I made some mistakes in this with my wife. Uh, I knew my wife for two and a half years before we got married. And it was too long, right? It was a year and a half too long because of me, right? I began to be attracted to this girl. And not just physically, I began to see her at places like church. And I I would see her uh, on campus. I saw my wife on campus with another girl, with a Bible, sharing the gospel with another girl. And I was like, praise Jesus, I need to marry this girl, right? I knew I liked her, like right off the bat. And I would talk to my buddies in the church, accountability, and they would say, bro, why don't you ask her out on a date? And I'd be like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, what's the other idea? Like, I'm not doing that. And they're like, you like her, like, you're attracted to her physically. You've seen these things spiritually. You know she's a believer. You're on a path towards being yoked together. Like, that would be a good thing. Just ask her out. And I didn't for like a year, right? And so I didn't do this right. My wife had to, with her friends, get together and confront me. <laughs> and it was awkward, right? But finally, like, it was a day like this and a church like this. I was standing up front. Her friends and her posse were in the back. And I'm standing up front with my guys. And I'm like, is she looking yet? Are they looking right now? <laughs> and it was dumb. And finally, we got outside on the church steps. And I said, girl, I like you. And I want to date you. And she said, well, you can't just, like, you, who you, you're just going to walk in here and date me like that. Like, you got to pursue me. And she helped me pursue her, <laughs> right? So it took me a while. So I'm not standing up here as someone who says, like, hey, I've read the dating manual, and I got it. I'm good. Perfection. No, it was a process for me. But I can tell you that when I was honest and intentional, not flippant and vague, it was helpful. That it allowed us to pursue marriage. It allowed some of those other relationships that I shouldn't have been in to fall apart because they needed to fall apart. And some of you are hanging around, talking, going out, and there's no intentionality. You need to speak the truth in love. You need to step out and take the courage to do that. So that's the second thing. Be intentional and direct, not flippant and vague. The third thing, establish healthy boundaries. Song of Solomon 2.7. Don't awaken love before it's time. This is sexually and emotionally as well. Sexually that you need to realize science tells us sex releases dopamine. That's what makes you feel good and says, hey, I want to do that again. Sex releases dopamine. That dopamine produces oxytocin, which creates bonding. And so if you're in a dating relationship, you're not in a covenant relationship, you may be committed. Well, Tim, we've been dating for a year. Shouldn't we just live together? You're committed. You're not in covenant. You're not married, right? 
And you may think like, hey, I feel connected to this person, and so why can't we just sleep together? Why can't we just live together? I mean, how will we ever know if we have sexual chemistry unless we have it before we get married? And what I would tell you is that every time you do that, it's releasing dopamine that makes you feel good, that produces oxytocin, that creates bonding, and it confuses the heck out of dating. It confuses the heck out of relationship, of courting, of realizing, is this the who that I'm going to be yoked together? Is this the person that I want to be together with? Because you feel close, because your body's telling you you're close, but that's it. There's a reason. Wait for sex until marriage. There's a reason because sex consummates the marriage, the relationship. It doesn't cultivate it. It consummates it. Like, once you've given your, your heart to someone, then you know, I can give my body to you, right? It's not clouded with the sexuality part. And so you need to set some boundaries sexually. I talk to so many, in particular, guys, as I'm having that conversation, and they say, hey, yeah, I, we fell into sexual sin again. I'm like, well, bro, tell me about that. How, how'd that happen? Well, we were at her apartment, and it was late at night, and I had the R&B mix on Spotify, and I was just thinking, like, wine and chocolate, that'd be fun. And I'm like, bro, you did not fall into sexual temptation. You did a cannonball. <laughs> like, that was like a gainer off the top. You, like, if, if there was wine and chocolate and R&B mixed on Spotify late at night in an apartment and you weren't tempted to have sex with her, she might not be the right person. <laughs> right? You didn't fall into that. You dove head first. And so here, here's the reality with temptation, sexually in particular, in dating. You make the decision before the temptation to resist it, not in the midst of it. Because you're not strong enough. She's not strong enough, right? And so you set some wise boundaries. I know for my wife and I, we would talk about, hey, we want to be uh, in private and public, right? And so some, some books have been written about, like, you always hang out in groups. Like, until the wedding day, you're just in groups of friends. Like, oh, I, I kind of want to get to know my future wife, right? And so one-on-one -on -one time does help. So, yeah, groups of friends, great, do that. It's okay to be in private, but be in private in public, right? So my wife and I, we would play tennis together. And what I mean by playing tennis, we would hit the ball a few times, and then we would sit down on the ground and talk to each other and look at each other under the lights, at the tennis courts, at Stephen F. Austin State University, where everybody could see us, right? And so I just knew, like, I'm not going to be super tempted in that moment like I would be in your apartment with the R&B music and the wine and the chocolate, right? But we can be in private and public, and we get to cultivate friendship. You set some boundaries. You talk about those things. Guys, again, you need to lead the way in this. You need to bring this up. I know it's awkward, but you need to bring it up, and you need to decide beforehand, before we get on the couch, before we get in that situation, here's what that's going to look like, right? And so you can go into your marriage pure, and so you can not cloud things with sexual sin. Uh, this isn't just sexually, it's emotionally. Uh, there's a lot of good date ideas. I just gave you one that's for free, right? Play tennis with each other, and then just actually sit and talk to each other, right? That's a great date idea. Here's a date idea you want to cross off your list. House hunting. Right? Third date, you're like, babe, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. Let's go look at our dream house. Right? Let's go look up some blueprints. 
some schematics. Like, let's look, I want the front porch and the pool. Like, how about you? Let's compare. That's not a good date idea. Why? You may be committed. You may think this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with on date three. But you're just committed. You're not in covenant. And you start talking about house we're going to live in and all those things on the third date. You're not setting boundaries emotionally. And you start to, again, you feel closer than you actually are. You already feel yoked together. I mean, we've talked about buying the house. I know how many kids he wants to have. I know where he wants to live. I know, what she, I know how she organizes her finance. Like, I know, like, all these marital things. We've talked about it already. And then that leads, that emotional lack of boundaries leads to a, a sex without boundaries. Because you feel like, well, hey, we're basically already married. I don't need a court to tell me that. And so you need to set boundaries sexually, emotionally. Don't awaken love before it's time. Song of Solomon. The fourth thing, you need to cultivate friendship. This is how you will pursue a wife, a husband, is cultivating friendship. Right? Proverbs 17, 7, a friend loves at all times. Here's what our culture will tell you to look for. Not a companion, not a friend. They will tell you to look for someone who's hot. They will tell you to look for someone who works out a lot. They will tell you to look for someone who has a charm about them, right? Listen, all of those things will fade. Maybe not next year, maybe not in 20 years, but in 50 years, all of those things our culture tells you to look for will fade. A companion will never fade. A friend, Proverbs 17, 17, loves at all times. And here's the reality as well. Married people, you can say amen to this, but I won't put you on the spot to that. Sex only makes up a fraction of the time spent in marriage. Just nod if you're with me. Right? Sex only makes up a fraction of that amount of time in marriage. What makes up the majority of time? Companionship. Friendship. Going to work, coming home, talking about your day, right? Having kids and going uh, on a trip with them and talking about your, your dreams and goals and aspirations. Sitting together over a, a meal. That sex is just a fraction of marriage. So all that, that attention that our culture places on physical appearance and do you, yeah, how can you really know if you're going to marry this person and have sex with them for the rest of your life and you've never done it before marriage? Like, are you sure about that? Sex only makes up a fraction Friendship lasts a lifetime. It lasts not just 20 years in, but 40 years in. All right, so you want to cultivate friendship as you pursue marriage. I'm not saying attraction is not important. I'm not saying that spark doesn't matter. I'm not saying having chemistry doesn't matter. I'm just saying those are good features to have. They're not a good foundation. Right? That won't be what makes your marriage last. It'll be a friendship. So you need to cultivate that. So you need to think about ways and dates that cultivate that, conversations that cultivate that. You need to study the other person, get to know them. Like what are their likes and their dislikes? And cultivate friendship. The fifth thing, you need to evaluate based on biblical and godly counsel, not just feelings. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful. Proverbs eleven fourteen says where there is no guidance, people fall. The reality is you don't always know that that other person was trouble when they walked in. Right? T-Swift, come on. <laughs> like, if, you, if she knew, like, I knew you were trouble when you walked in, like, then don't date them. 
right? You don't always know that. Why? Your heart is deceitful, right? You need some other people to say, hey, he's trouble. Hey, you don't, she, that's not, you're not going to be equally yoked with, with her. You need some other people because here's the reality. When you are infatuated with somebody, when you are into somebody, you idealize that person, right? And, and you don't see the weaknesses that are there. You make up strengths that aren't there. Anybody done this? You're like, well, I mean, your friends are like, he sure does speak harshly. You're like, well, he just, he's extroverted. I mean, he's just kind of speaking, he's passionate. You make a strength that's not there, right? And you don't see the weakness that is there, right? And so while you're infatuated with that person, you can't always see that. You need wise counsel so you don't fall. Proverbs eleven fourteen: where there is no guidance, people fall. You need some other people. Yesterday, I did High Comfrey's Peak. I was going to work that in a couple times at least. <laughs> Otherwise, it wasn't worth it. Um, <laughs> hiking yesterday. What you learn about Humphreys Peak, there's three false summits, right? And so here's what happens, and they tell you this, but when you see it, you're like, man, they're so right. You see what looks to be a summit, and you can't see another summit behind it. All you can see is, hey, that's the peak, and that's where we're headed, and that's where I'm breathing so hard, but we're going to get there. I'm hurting so bad, we're going to get to that summit. And then what happens? You get to that summit, and it goes down a little bit, and there's a second summit, right? Now, here's what happened yesterday on the heck. I, I went with some people who had been before. And so I'm looking at that summit, and I'm thinking, okay, that's it. That's where we're going. That's the one, right? This is everything we came for. This is the summit. But I got some people who've been there before, and they've done that. And they would tell me, like, Tim, no, there's two more after that. That's not the real summit. You can't always see the one. You need some pe people who've been there, who've done that, maybe who are already married, maybe who are further along in their dating life, who love you, who care for you, who can say, hey, I've been there and done that. I, I don't know about this, right? You need some people that you ask questions. Hey, just generally, I, I want to know your opinion on this guy. Like, what do you think about him? Hey, what encourages you about our relationship? Like, friend in your life, fellow believer, what do you see in our relationship that's encouraging to you? What do you see in, in our relationship that you kind of think is a, is a caution, a red flag that I need to be aware of? What do you see? Because as you're infatuated, you may idealize that person and you can't see those things, but you need somebody who's gone over the false summit the first time to say, hey, let me help you with this. Right? And you need wise counsel in your life. And so buy coffee, buy lunch for a godly married couple and just ask them, how did you date? Would you share your successes but also your failures? Ask people in your life who, who know the guy or girl you're dating, hey, what do you think about this person? Married people, have the authenticity to share not just your successes but also your failures. Some of you think, man, if somebody grabbed coffee with me to ask me how I dated, <laughs> I'm not sharing that. Like, I made too many mistakes. And listen, those could just be mistakes or they could be redemptive lessons that could help somebody else flourish, not just in their dating life, but when they get married. Yeah? And so as a dating couple, you need to look around and ask for some wise counsel, some people to speak into your life. Who is more important than how, but the how does help with the who. And so as you're thinking about the who, you need to submit that process to God. 
You need to pursue a mate, but you need to do it in a godly way. Set some boundaries. Put some people in your life who care about you, who love you enough to speak the truth in your life. And then you can have a dating relationship that flourishes, honors God, and brings joy to you and the other person, but not just a dating relationship. You can go on to be yoked together and have a married relationship that honors God and brings joy to you and the other person and people around you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, I even thank you for a topic like dating that can often be confusing and complicated. But, God, I pray that this morning you would have brought clarity. And for our couples in here who are dating, uh, that you would help this inform and affect how they do this. Uh, As they assess the who, that they would also think about the how and how all this works together, and they would submit the whole process to you. Uh, God, I pray for our married couples to come alongside our dating couples and just say, hey, I'm here. If you have any questions, you want to talk about this, I'm here for you in that. That the beauty of the church is we're a community, a body of Christ that has different members, different members in the family who who we want to reach out to and walk alongside with and pray that you would help us to do that well. That as we talk about love and relationships, none of us have this down in an isolated way, but as we come together in a church community, as we lock arms together, we can glorify you with our relationships and we can experience joy. So I pray we would do that in the name of Jesus. Amen.